before you in prayer. And Lord, we ask that you would take this service and help us to understand more about you and your word. We ask that you would just uh, give simplicity and understanding. Lord, we ask now that you would also work in our lives that we may bring forth glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You will not remember everything, but you will hopefully get uh, the pieces put together here. And I hope you can see all of that in the back. The first place we're going to start is the church. Uh, The reason being, that's where we are. Amen. And uh, we are where we're supposed to be. Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And in Acts 1.8 and in Acts chapter 2, we see the empowering of the church on the day of Pentecost. And uh, sometimes you'll read books and they'll say, well, the, the, um, the church couldn't start till Pentecost because Jesus uh, had to go to heaven before the Holy Spirit came and, and they have lots of different things. Yet Jesus said, I will build my church. He gave instructions to his church in chapter 18. He explained all of these things and he empowered the church on the day of Pentecost. Where is our power supposed to come from? Now, we've often talked about this, not from the pulpit necessarily, but, you know, there are some preachers that are going to have a big church no matter where they are or what's going on. Uh, That doesn't mean it's the Holy Spirit, my friend. It's just like there are some people who are great communicators, and some would say they're great preachers. But if they're not preaching the Word of God, it's not of God. Uh, If you go on the internet, don't recommend that you do for this purpose. Uh, But you can find websites where you can have a gift assessment test. Uh, And you can take that test and they will tell you, according to the way you answer the questions, what your Holy Spirit gifts are to serve in the church. Uh, We have a word for that around here. It's called baloney. Baloney. If the Holy Spirit gives you a gift, it's for serving in the church. Now, a lot of people never get Holy Spirit gifts because they never serve in the church. And the reason they never serve is because they don't show up regular. You've got to be a part of what's going on so that you can be used. Amen? And the Holy Spirit will give you the abilities that you need. If you want to work in the church nursery just because you like children, let me tell you something. There will come a child you won't like. may even be one of mine. I don't know. But they will challenge you. But on the other hand, if you will pray and ask the Holy Spirit of God to give you what it needs to put up with them wonderful little brats, I mean children, God will give you the gift. 
I love some of the testimonies I've heard of, of our ladies working in the toddler's church. I mean, I love babies. Once they start talking, I'll see you in about 10 years, all right? Uh, but that little four- and five-year-old, boy, you, got, you just got to have some patience with those little ones. Some of the best training for the ministry. Learn to preach to children. You know what? Adults are good liars. They will sit there and they will look at you and they will pretend that they're listening and understanding because they're supposed to do that. Children do no such thing. Uh, especially when they start getting a little older in that 10, 11 years. Boy, you've got to really start doubling down your efforts. If you find yourself frustrated, uh, let's... Let's get on our knees and say, wait a minute, I don't need the gift, the talents that were born in me. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. And the same goes with the greeters and our song leaders and everything that goes on. It's got to be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God or it's not going to work. I couldn't tell you how many People have called us over the year. Well, I'm, I'm a very accomplished musician, and, and most churches have pretty poor music. We'd like to, I'd like to play in your church. And I said, well, uh, we don't work that way. If you're going to play an instrument in our church for the service, you've got to be a member here. Oh, what's with that? Well, you wouldn't understand it if I explained it to you. But see, you would. Because we want the people that play the piano and the organ and the guitars and the saxophone and all of those things. We, we want it to be because of the Holy Spirit of God. Not just because there's some talent there. Let's try that again. There, there we go. Okay, so in the church in prophecy here... We have Jesus starting the church. Jesus empowers the church on Pentecost. The power source of the church is supposed to be the Holy Spirit of God. And by the way, if you want some encouragement and you want to, you're dealing with struggling to come to church and put up with your pastor, uh, let me explain something to you. Get, ask God for the Holy Spirit to help you and he will. Because the only reason we can stand each other in the church is because the Holy Spirit of God has put us together as one body. By the way, don't run out the door as soon as we say amen. Stick around, talk to some people. Get attached. Make some friends. That's, that's what church is all about. Amen? Now, Jesus took the first two uh, chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation... And he wrote seven letters to seven churches. And the simplest and most biblical understanding I can give you from that is that they typify the different kind of churches that are in existence, were in existence in 95 A.D. or so when the letter was written. And still, we find Ephesian churches everywhere we go. We find Laodicean and Smyrna churches Praise God, we find some Philadelphia churches. Uh, there's some persecuted churches. 
But you know what? We need to read those letters and get instruction so that we can stay where we are, ought to be. In fact, the name of our church, somebody said, oh, you just like that open door thing. That's where you were raised. No, it's not that at all. It's as we were going around on deputation preparing to come to New York City, you don't know how many stories and how many people we met of churches that came, opened their doors, and closed them. We said, Lord, we want you to open the door, not because of our strength, but because of yours. And now we got three of them out front. Amen? And so we praise the Lord that he is doing this. And so we have these seven letters to the churches. Then you'll notice a break in the green line. That's the tribulation period. There are several reasons here. I think you can read the print there. We believe that the rapture of the church, though there's not one verse in the Bible that says that church shall be raptured, the word rapture is, means great joy. So if you drive up 35th Street and cross 30, uh, 28th Avenue up there, you're going to see a bar that's called the rapture. You know that's not all they lie about there, right? Uh, you don't find any joy taking depressants. But when Jesus comes, there's going to be joy. He said he's going to come in like manner. Read Acts chapter 1 and Zechariah chapter 12 and see if you can find a combination there. I, I can't make those two congruent. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus is with the disciples and he quietly rises into heaven. In the book of Zechariah, the Mount of Olives splits in two. The battle of Armageddon is being fought. Just, just a few things there that's a little different. Amen? One of the reasons we believe the church leaves during the tribulation period is because of the power that is given to the Antichrist. In the book of Daniel, it says he will wear out the saints of God. In the book of Revelation, it says he is going to have dominion. He is going to have victory and power over the saints of God. We've got a confusion. We've got a point of contention here. If the gates of hell will not prevail against Jesus' church, and yet the Antichrist will have authority over all people on the earth. That's why one of the reasons we believe, and the four that are on here are not the only ones, Jesus promised the church, Revelation 3.10, they're going to escape the hour of temptation that comes to try the whole world. He promises, on the other hand, that Jezebel and her crew, though they're in the church and acting as a part of the church, are going to be put into great tribulation. We also have uh, in the book of Thessalonians that he is going to deliver us from the wrath to come. And that's not only talking about hellfire. That is talking about God's judgment poured out on this earth. It's interesting. The saved during the tribulation period are not told to get baptized. 
Well, if there's no church to baptize them, you can't get baptized. Amen? And Israel is to be grafted in again. But while the church is here on earth during this period of time, if you are of Jewish heritage and you want to serve God, how do you do that? By becoming a member of a Bible-believing Baptist church. That is God's program. Yet, we don't have the 144,000 showing up at church. We have them with the Lamb. We have the great multitude going through the tribulation and showing up in the kingdom. So let's go to slide number two. Don't worry, we only have 11 more of these to get through tonight. No, they won't all take this long. Some of these we've been through before. Okay, we have the church age. We have Daniel's. Time of the 70th week, seven years, divided into two 1260-day periods. And the man of sin cannot be revealed until that force that hinders his work is taken out of the way. And uh, let me just... Taken aside here, there, there are several different understandings of Bible eschatology. There is a group that believe in amillennialism, that there is no kingdom. Now, that should be fairly easy for anybody to dispel. If there's going to be a thousand-year kingdom and you say there isn't one, well, you're denying Scripture. So we just have no time for that. Um, so we believe in the premillennial return of Christ. Uh, there was actually a group kind of died out after World War I who said that the earth and mankind and the church would improve things to the point to where we would have utopia here on earth and Jesus Christ would descend from heaven at that point and take the throne and we would enter eternity future. They call that post-millennialism. Uh, World War I put an end to post-millennialism. And if anybody had any questions, World War II kind of just pegged that cork in the bottle nice and tight. Uh, because things aren't improving with the human race. They are degenerating and have been at an accelerating pace in keeping with what the Bible says is going to happen during tribulation period. Amen. And so we take Daniel's 1260 days. We put them in. They fit in the seven-year tribulation period. We have the... The judgments of God, Daniel mentions an additional period of 30 days and 45 days. Then we have the kingdom that will last a thousand years. After the kingdom, we'll have one more rebellion. Then we have the great white throne and the end of all things. Let's go to our next slide here, and this is where we want to get. Israel in prophecy. Now, we have God calling Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. He moves to Haran, 
and lives there for about 25 or 30 years. Then Moses' father dies. Moses is now about 75 years old, and he enters the land of Canaan for the first time. God has promised Abraham and his descendants that piece of property. Now, one of the problems with many of our modern Protestants, and, of course, the Catholics have gotten in on this, and Orthodox, they invented the program, anti-Semitism. They said that God is done with Israel. He has refused them because they crucified the Lord. Well, let me tell you something. Read Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. God is not done with Israel. Read the book of Revelation. I have no idea where the 144,000 are going, how they're going to be marked in their tribes. But let me ask you a question. Before the year 1900, how many people believed that Israel could have their own country again in the land of Israel? Let me tell you something. Nobody. Oh, yeah, there was a little group of Zionists. And they thought that they... And this is where the conspiracies come from. Let me tell you something. If that little group of men had the power that the neo-Nazis say they did have to control all the media and to do all of these crazy things, don't you think they would rule the world? Now, I'm sorry, but if you're dumb enough to believe that, don't even bother signing up for counseling. Do not. You have to discount so much of the Bible that it's not even worth the time to talk if you want to be an anti-Semite, if you want to hate Jews for being Jews. We have no patience for that here. And yet, this is the new Christianity that is forming, and if you don't think hatred for Israel is on the rise, you're just not paying attention. It is coming. By the way, Part of the program of Antichrist is to persecute the women, the woman, Revelation chapter 12, and her children. It is coming, my friend. What God did was he gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai. He organized Israel as a nation. And now we have the law of God. And they functioned under that law right up and through the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said he was born under the law. He was tempted in every point as we are, yet without sin, according to the writer of Hebrews. Romans 10, 9, and 10, God shaved off the natural branches because of unbelief, and he grafted in, grafted is the modern English word, in us unnatural branches from the wild olive tree that we might partake of the salvation of God. 
Read the book of Ephesians chapter 4. The mystery was that we Gentiles could be saved without becoming Jews. That was the mystery. And in order for that to happen, God had to suspend the use of Israel as a nation so that the church would function as a church. And this is one of the reasons why we deny the Messianic Fellowship movement of our day, because you cannot marry the Old Testament law and tradition of the Jewish people and the New Testament church. We worship on Sunday because that is the day Jesus rose again from the dead. If you're going to serve God, you should worship Him on Sunday. By the way, you should worship Him as earnestly on Monday. And Tuesday is not a bad idea. In fact, it's strangely biblical. Amen. In fact, we are to worship God seven days a week. We keep the Sabbath by resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ and not trying to accomplish our own salvation through our own works. And someone said, but see, that's how they got saved in the Old Testament. They got saved by works. No, they did not. They got saved by faith. But their faith told them to bring the sacrifice to the temple in Jerusalem. Don't try to rewrite a modern-day church understanding over the Old Testament law. You see, what we're trying to cover here tonight is literally thousands of pages of reading and hundreds and hundreds of hours of comparing Scripture with Scripture. God set Israel. God gave us the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. We now have Israel going to be dealt with again during the tribulation period. And Israel will be present during the millennial kingdom. Ezekiel chapter 40 through chapters 40 through 48. Let's go to our next slide. This one is very quick. The 70 weeks of Daniel. Uh, I'm not going to argue with Mr. Um, oh, the guy that wrote the book anyway. Uh, he did the math, did the dates from March 14th, 445 B.C. till April 6th, which was Palm Sunday, 32 A.D., is 173,880 days, exactly 69 prophetic weeks to the day. You say, but... But March and April and all, well, you've got to realize our calendar is not a Jewish calendar. And Mr. Anderson did the math, and I'm, I'm just going to believe that. The Bible says in the book of Daniel, until Messiah the Prince, Jesus was accepted as the Prince as he rode the donkey through the gate of Jerusalem. They said, glory to the son of David, Hosanna to God in the highest. You say, but a week later they said, crucify him. Yes, they did. Uh, did you ever stop and think it wasn't all the same people that said both things? It was the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and the people in Israel who refused to believe. They cried out, crucify him. They persuaded the people 
and manipulated. That's why Peter said in a later date, he said, I watch you did it through ignorance as also your rulers. The only problem was the rulers didn't do it ignorantly. They did it on purpose. Somebody said, well, why do we have this big break in in the 70 weeks? We got 69 weeks. It's been almost 2,000 years because the people of the prince that shall come, the prince that shall come is to renew the treaty with Israel. A peace treaty with Israel is the trigger that begins the tribulation period. Hasn't happened yet. But it's going to. And then the tribulation will begin. And when it's over, let's go to the next one, the battles. And we're just trying to put things together here. The beginning of the tribulation is a time of relative peace. The first rider, the first seal, is a white horse. He's given a bow, no arrows. But he goes forth conquering and to conquer. He's going to use peace to set up his kingdom. But it's not going to last. We get to... The middle of the tribulation, which seems to be the best place to plug in Ezekiel 38 and 39, where the armies of Gog and Magog, according to Ezekiel, by the way, that would be Turkey, Ethiopia, Iran, Iraq, Syria, Uh, Those are the armies. Now, nobody here could ever imagine that those armies would want to invade Israel now, could you? I mean, that just doesn't make sense, does it? Uh, There's only one thing stopping that right now. It is the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. And the influence of the Holy Spirit of God upon the government of the United States. None of those countries want to face us but that's going to be removed then they're going to try it the Bible tells us five sixths of their army is going to be destroyed we know that that can't be the battle of the nations in Revelation even though Gog and Magog are mentioned because how what percentage of the army is destroyed in Revelation chapter 20 100 percent Revelation chapter 20 is around the camp of God. That would be the environs of Jerusalem. Gog and Magog is on the mountains of Israel. We're going to have a war in heaven going on about that same time where Michael is going to clip the wings of the devil. He is the prince and power of the air, but he's going to be cast down to earth. And one of the woes is woe unto the inhabitants of the earth because he knows his time is short. Then the most famous battle in all of history, Armageddon. That is the end of the tribulation period. The millennial kingdom will be set up from Jerusalem. At the end of that time, the devil will be released from that pit, bottomless pit where he's been for a thousand years, 
He's going to stir up the nations. They're going to rebel once again. And then will come the end times. Okay, let's look at the next one here very quickly. This is just kind of another way to say what we've already said. In heaven, we have the church going up, the judgment seat of Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the second coming of Christ at the battle of Armageddon, where he will have the saints arrayed in linen, fine and white, which is the righteousness of the saints. How did they get their their robes made of their righteousness? Judgment seat of Christ. And so they will be coming back. Then we'll have the thousand-year kingdom and we'll enter into eternity future. Let's go to the next one, the resurrections. And again, these all just kind of fit uh, together here. And if I tried to put this all on one chart, nobody would be able to read a thing. Too much information for one chart, uh, unless I did... How many remember Dr. Wilson when he was here in 2000? Uh, he, he had me go buy an eight-foot piece of melamine uh, whiteboard, and he drew that whole thing out. And the thing was, he couldn't even see what he had drawn. He was totally blind. He was doing it all by just pure memory. And uh, I sure enjoyed learning from Dr. Wilson. We have Christ, the first fruits. Along with Christ's resurrection, the Bible says many of the Old Testament saints arose. I believe it's in Ephesians that it says he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. We have uh, the Lord beginning there. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that everyone in his time, the Christians will be resurrected when Jesus comes for his church. We get to the end of the tribulation. We now add the tribulation saints. Uh, many people believe that uh, the Old Testament saints will be resurrected at the end of the tribulation. Uh, I believe we've got one of two options, either the end of the tribulation or the Bible used the word many when Jesus arose from the dead. It's just possible the Old Testament saints are already waiting on us in heaven. I'm not going to be dogmatic or argue with anybody about that, but that is uh, something to think about. The end of the tribulation, when the tribulation saints arise, that is the first resurrection. Do you notice that that is in one, two, three, three different steps? You see, sometimes God divides things up and doesn't tell us about his divisions. Uh, it's okay. Uh, it doesn't all have to happen at one time. Anyone who believes in a one-time general resurrection is confusing Scripture and just putting it all in the same pot and stirring it together. We can't do that. Then we have the millennial reign, and it is after the millennial reign, after the last rebellion, is the great white throne where the unsaved dead are judged. There will be no saved judged at the great white throne. It will only be because it is the second resurrection. It is the resurrection of death. You know, people often 
say, well, well, you just believe uh, that you're going to have eternal life. Yes, but those who don't get eternal life will have eternal death. They're connected. Go back to the teaching of John. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, wheat into the garner, the baptism of fire, the lake of fire. There are two eternal baptisms given by Jesus Christ. Salvation and damnation. Do you have any wonder why it's called the lake of fire? Because you're going to get baptized if you've rejected Jesus Christ. It is the baptism with fire. So our next slide is just a requote of the uh, uh, of the judgments. We have the seven seals. The first seals are the horsemen, the white dominion. The second one is red, which is war. The third is black, which is famine. The pale or bay horse is death and hell are riding on it. We have the martyr tribulation saints being told to wait until their brothers join them. We have the great earthquake, and all of a sudden, the tip hammer of God's judgment gets into high gear. We now, with the seventh seal, have seven trumpets to sound, and the earth is destroyed. A third of all trees, all green grass, are burned up with the first trumpet. We have a third of the sea becoming blood, and a third of the life, and the ships destroyed. The third one is a third of all fresh water on earth is gone. Don't talk to me about this environmentalist stuff. God's going to tear this place up. A third part of the moon, the sun, and the stars. Now, we've talked about this a little bit. It has the characteristics of what they call a nuclear winter where you have huge dust clouds literally blocking out and absorbing the sun's heat passing around the earth. Temperatures would drop 100 degrees in just a few hours. And yet, what's going to happen where it's warmer? You're going to have convections, you're going to have windstorms, you're going to have things that you can't even imagine. And then the bottomless pit is open and these super unbelievable locust-type beings with poisonous snake heads for tails are going to come out and you're not going to die. You're just going to suffer for five months. I mean, these things are going to go on. It says men are going to seek death and not be able to find it. Then we have the release of the four angels. Thirteen months, one day, one hour, and a third part of the entire population of this earth is going to be killed by these four demons bound in the bottom of the river. That is woe number one and woe number two. The third woe is the seven vile judgments. We have the attack on the kingdom of the beast. Those that have worshipped him will break out with sores. The, all life in the water is going, in the sea is going to die. All rivers are being turned to blood. The sun now scorches men. Then we have darkness and the Euphrates River is dried up 
so that the armies of the east can march to the battle of the Armageddon. And so the next three slides, let's just wait about two seconds on each slide here. Those are the seven seals. Next one, Brother Zach. Those are the seven trumpets. And then the last one is the seven vile judgments. Then the battle of Armageddon. And very quickly here, let's go to our next slide. As we tried to put this together, we have things happening in little bursts or clusters. At the beginning of the tribulation, we have the rapture of the church, the peace treaty with Israel. The beast is revealed as the, as the world ruler. Uh, it seems to indicate that somehow he is going to survive an assassination attempt. Uh, imagine John F. Kennedy was shot in the head. The next day, he comes on public television and addresses the world and says, I'm fine. That's what the Bible says is going to happen. That is going to be the stage set to reveal this man as the Antichrist. Now, we don't know if he's going to be... Reveal, uh, uh, reveal himself as the Antichrist, and the first thing he does after he is revealed, after he survives, is to sign the peace treaty with Israel, or if he's going to sign the peace treaty and then get shot in the head and survive, we, we just don't know. And, and we don't know if he's going to be shot in the head or not, but it says he's going to receive a wound to his head, a mortal wound, and he's going to live. Now, we would think shot, but I mean, if some wacko comes out of the crowd with a sword, and uh, I mean, it could happen lots of ways. Uh, talk to, what was it, Trotsky, yeah. Uh, he got an alpenstock. But while all of this is going on, the Jews are going to be given permission to rebuild the temple on the Temple Mount. In Jerusalem. By the way, I love to ask this question. I don't know the answer. But if you set foot on the Temple Mount today to rebuild the Jewish Temple, you have about two billion Muslims who are going to all get on boats and come to Israel and try to destroy you. Uh, nobody's going to do that here. It's going to be rebuilt. So think. Something just might happen to Islam. And we may be seeing it right now. Then we hit the midpoint of the tribulation. This is where the Antichrist walks into the temple in Jerusalem and sits on the mercy seat and shows that he is God. That is going to be the trigger that makes Israel... Understand that Jesus is their Messiah. They're going to believe Antichrist is the Messiah. That's why somebody said, you believe Obama's Antichrist? No. Do you think anybody confuse him for Jesus? Uh, not Romney either. No, uh, not anybody I know about. But he's here somewhere. And when he reveals himself, the world is going to believe that he is Jesus. He is not going to be walking around saying Jesus didn't come. He's going to be walking around saying, I am Jesus Christ. And the world is going to believe him. Mystery Babylon. 
the religious center of the world will now be destroyed. At the same time, Satan is now cast to earth. The persecution of Israel begins. The mark of the beast, the 666, and all of those things are going to kick in at the midpoint of the tribulation. All the while, the tip hammer of God's judgment is start going to get faster and more severe and faster and more severe. We end with the battle of Armageddon. The blood will flow five feet deep, 200 miles up the Jordan Valley. You say, how could that happen? The armies of the world, 200 million men are going to be marching in that direction. That's not too hard to figure out now, is it? Christ will return with his armies. He will set up his kingdom. The devil will be locked up and the beast and the false prophet will be thrown into the lake of fire where they will be a thousand years later when Satan joins them. Now we go to our last slide and I'll be done on time tonight. The two red lines are the scope of God's plan of salvation. You say there's some extra white space in there. Yeah? Does anybody know where Melchizedek came from? Uh Uh-uh. What about Jethro, the high priest of Midian, who was a priest to the Most High God? Does anybody know where he came from? That's Moses' father-in-law. You see... There were people who believed in God before Israel came into being. And there were people who believed in God. The Bible tells us stories that weren't necessarily part of Israel, though. What did Rahab do? She became a Jew. What did the Gibeonites do? They became Jewish people. Uh, The men that followed David, some of David's mighty men, the Chetherites and the Petherites, Those were Philistines who had left their land to follow David. So, not everybody was there. Not everybody, and I don't know how to explain this. I've met some preachers that do, and I'm very dissatisfied with their explanations. You can be saved and going to heaven and not be a member of a good church. Is that right? No. Should you be a member of a church? Yes. What is God going to do when we all get to heaven? We'll find out. But I don't believe we can find subsets of Christians in heaven. I, I just can't find that. But those who knew... And didn't, the Bible says, they're going to be beaten with many stripes. I have no idea how that's all going to work out. I just hope I'm not under the beating. How about you? That means you better get obedient right now. The church is suspended during the tribulation just as Israel is suspended during the church. We now have Israel regathered during the tribulation and the little purple line on the bottom there is that mixed multitude of all people, of all tongues, of all races that get saved during the tribulation period. And by the way, 
the best understanding we have out of the book of 2 Thessalonians is if you've heard the gospel and rejected it, you will believe that the Antichrist is Jesus. Those who have never heard will be the ones that get saved. Don't listen to Jack Van Impey and Left Behind and uh, Thief in the Night and all of those things. You know, they just can't quite draw that line all the way. There's got to be hope. No. Today is the day of salvation. You're not told to wait until you see the signs coming. And then get saved. Uh, That's not faith, my friend. And if you don't have faith, guess what? You're not saved. Did we get that point? And so, we are looking at the center point in all of history is the cross of Jesus Christ. We have that red line that goes from uh, history, from when Adam and Eve sinned. God took them out of the garden, and he killed animals. And he sacrificed those animals, and he took the skins of those animals, and he made coverings for Adam and Eve to cover their nakedness, their shame, their sin. Abel tapped into that line of blood by offering a lamb for which his blood was shed by his evil brother, Cain. We have Abraham offering sacrifices and Isaac and Jacob all the way down till God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. Did they sacrifice while they were living in the land of Egypt? No. Because Moses said, we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians, they'll stone us. That's why we have to leave the land of Egypt to worship God, God's way. By the way, did they offer sacrifices after the temple was destroyed and Daniel was in captivity? No, there were no sacrifices to offer. You see, that's why we know that they were saved by faith and not by sacrifice. Amen? We now come to the church and Jesus fulfilled all the sacrifices. God did not go back on Israel. He fulfilled the law. And we look to the finished work of Jesus Christ, and that's how we tap in to that line of blood that starts started outside the Garden of Eden. And yet, I believe the simplest understanding of Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48 is there's going to be a temple in the city of Jerusalem. During the millennial kingdom where the sons of Zadok will serve according to what the Bible says. And they're going to offer the sacrifices. Hebrews chapter 8, he's going to make a new covenant. The sacrifices will look back to the cross and be a testimony that it is finished. The line of blood 
will go from the Garden of Eden to the great white throne. Then God draws that line and all that we know of ceases. And we will enter what we call eternity future. It could begin just a little over 1,007 years from tonight. You say, but, but how do we know when it's going to begin? We don't. Read Matthew chapter 24 and 25. A lot of confusion in those passages. Jesus was speaking to his disciples, answering some questions of things with which the disciples could not possibly be attached to. But would that be the first time that happened in Scripture? That God gave revelation to someone who did not understand and to whom it did not apply? No, actually, that goes the whole way through the Bible. Peter tells us they desired to look into these things and they couldn't understand it. The disciples refused to believe that Jesus had to suffer and die on the cross until after the resurrection. Because they thought when he came as a babe in Bethlehem's manger that he would immediately ascend to the throne. Hasn't happened yet. We're still waiting. That's why we study these things. So that we can obey Jesus' command to watch. How are we to watch? Not television, amen? Amen. Not Christian videos. We need to watch by reading this word and being prepared. The picture is that of a servant. We went over the picture. The groom leaves to get his bride. The servants are supposed to be ready to open the door. You say, but wait a minute, I thought we were part of the bride. No, Jesus is painting a picture of how we are supposed to behave. He hasn't told us where in that picture we are. But when he comes to get us, we better be ready. We better be waiting. We better be ready to open the door immediately. I love that song the marshals sing. I'll leave without saying goodbye. I'll tell you what, you won't have time to say goodbye. You won't have time to erase your internet history before you leave. You won't have time to turn off the TV. I mean, would you, would you like Jesus to come and... And all of a sudden, it's to the really good part. I mean, 50,000 people are going to get slaughtered in the next 30 seconds of this video game. You got it all set up. Hi, Lord. Wouldn't that be terrible? Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Lot's wife did not make it. 
because her heart was still in the city of Sodom. And if your heart is still in this world, you're not going to make it. No matter how many times you've been to church and how many baptistries you've been baptized in and how many good things you've done and how good you feel when Jesus' name is mentioned, none of those things are going to matter. Have you been born again the Bible way? Do you have the life of God living in you? That's salvation. And if you have that, the Bible says you will be watching. See, preacher, you're trying to get me to doubt my salvation? No. But if you have it, maybe it needs a little oil to make sure it's working right. Amen? That's really what next week is all about. Because if we are doing our job as a church... We're going to do our work that God wants us to in reaching our world. We're not having a regular missions conference this year, so we can have all the preachers in for our anniversary. But let me tell you, you get your heart right, our missions giving is going to go up. It just has to. And so let's ask God to get our eyes focused on the things God wants us to be focused on. And you know, there's questions we can't answer. But I'll tell you what. Don't worry about the questions you cannot answer until you've answered the questions you can. Are you saved? You can answer that question. Are you scripturally baptized? Guess what? You can answer that question. Are you serving in a local church? Uh, we have one we recommend rather highly around here. Amen. Those are questions you can answer. Is there something in your life hindering your service for Christ? I'll loan you a pair of snips. Take them home and cut the cable. Amen? Oh, boy. They got real quiet. You got a bunch of tapes and videos you need to get rid of? I'll give you the garbage bag. Amen? Just set it out. There'll be some homeless person comes along, takes them all. Before the garbage man even shows up, get rid of it. Because Jesus is coming back. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and we ask that you would help us look at the right things. And Lord, there's not a one of us that doesn't need improvement in our relationship with you. And Lord, we just ask that you would allow this service here to be a time of trying to remember all of these things, but more importantly than that, that we would focus on that mirror and ask ourselves the question, are we watching? And if we're not, Lord... Give us the humility to just get out of our seat and spend some time with the Lord and ask you to change things. Pray that the preachers that come in this coming week, 
that you'll give them the messages that will encourage us to be where we ought to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And we'll just have the piano begin to play. If you need to add some of the prayers of your own to that one, would you just slip out and spend some time with the Lord?